0: Hello and welcome to the State of the Fleet Industry, a weekly video series produced by Automotive Fleet Magazine. I'm Mike Antich, Editor of Automotive Fleet. And today I'd like to examine what's occurring in the fleet industry for the week of August 22nd, 2022. And as you know, the theme of this video series is the cover developments in the fleet industry on a week-by-week basis. And with that said, a lot's been happening. And on the positive side, gasoline prices are continuing to fall. Inflationary pressures, while still high, appear to be moderating, but there continues to be mixed signals coming out of the larger national economy. Case in point, we're currently in the midst of a substantial decline in home sales, which according to Moody Analytics, one of the country's top analytics company, which says that this decline in home sales is the fastest housing market contraction since 2006. Now that's significant. And If this is the start of a prolonged contraction, and and we don't know if it is, but if it is, the question is how might this impact future construction activities and the national economy in general? Or from a fleet perspective, what impact if any will this have on fleet sales of pickup trucks and vans to construction companies, contractor and tradesmen in both the new and used vehicle markets? And the reason I cite the used vehicle market is because tradesmen, such as independent electricians or contractors, and name just a few, are huge buyers of used fleet pickups and vans. And I'll cover this topic in more detail next week. But for this week's episode, I'd like to explore another topic, which is the impact of a brand new piece of legislation. It's called the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, which was just signed into law by President Biden. Last Tuesday, August sixteenth, and the Inflation Reduction Act is—it's a, a massive piece of legislation that can be downloaded in full from the U.S. Congress website. But if you want to read it in its entirety, be prepared—you need to carve out a large chunk of time because you'll have to read seven hundred and twenty-five pages. As I said, it's massive and complex. Altogether, this gigantic bill has been authorized to spend seven hundred. And $40 billion. Now that's three quarters of a trillion dollars to be spent in a variety of areas, ranging from price negotiations for prescription drugs to the hiring of 87,000 new IRS agents. But what's of keen interest to the auto industry is that out of this $740 billion, the law earmarks about $369 billion to be spent for climate related and alternative energy initiatives. In particular, it creates an entirely new set of rules for the issuance of tax credits to purchase new and used EVs. And as a result, the automotive industry is scrambling to analyze how they can benefit from this new law and how its provisions will impact its dealers and customers. And for those who are familiar with the new law, the common term that I hear being cited is that it's confusing and it has tougher to meet eligibility criteria. I mean, already, industry associations, dealers, and OEMs are asking for more guidance from the federal government, in particular the IRS, on how to interpret the law. In essence, the Inflation Reduction Act will ultimately replace the old $7,500 EV tax credit with a new, more complicated methodology designed to incentivize domestic EV production and reduce the country's reliance on foreign supply chains. So specifically, the law states that EVs to be eligible for the tax credit must be assembled in North America. In addition, the law stipulates additional new eligibility restrictions based on a vehicle sticker price, a buyer's income, and the sourcing of components and rare earth metals to manufacture the batteries, all of which will take effect January 1, 2023. So for instance, the new law allows OEMs to offer a tax credit if an, o, if an EV meets certain conditions. One condition is that it will need to be built with minerals and rare earth metals that are extracted or processed in a country with which the U.S. has a free trade agreement. So for example, the U.S. does not have a free trade agreement with China, which is the number one exporter of these rare earth metals but the U.S. does have free trade agreements with other exporters of rare earth metals, such as Australia, South Korea, and Canada, along with 17 other countries. So to be eligible for the EV tax credit, OEMs who have supply chains emanating from China will have to reconfigure their sourcing agreements to other countries with which the U.S. does have free trade agreements. A second condition is that an EV to be eligible for tax credits need to be powered by a battery that includes a large percentage of components that are manufactured or assembled in North America. So let's break this down further. The assembly requirements stipulated by the Inflation Reduction Act will actually reduce the number of EVs eligible for tax credits from 72 models down to only 22 models, according to estimates released by the federal government. OEMs that rely heavily on Chinese-made batteries for their current EV models have complained that it's almost impossible to meet these mineral sourcing requirements when the new rules become effective as soon as the start of calendar year 2023. If an OEM is unable to change its battery sourcing, then these EVs will be disqualified from receiving an EV credit. So as I stated earlier, about 22 models meet the North American final assembly requirement and therefore still qualify for the EV tax credits up to $7,500 until the end of calendar year 2022. However, as I said, this number is uh, of eligible models will most likely even further be reduced when the new sourcing requirements for batteries take effect at the start of calendar year 2023. But, you know, on the positive side, the Inflation Reduction Act does expand the EV tax credits to allow fuel cell vehicles to qualify, and it eliminates the termination of EV credits after a manufacturer sells more than 200,000 EVs, which was a requirement in the prior law and which is currently impacting both GM and Tesla. But the revised eligibility requirements for an EV tax credit broaches a much bigger question. If an EV is ineligible for tax credits, how will this impact that EV's total sales? Will customers still buy it or instead purchase an alternative EV that is eligible for tax credits? Could there be an unintended consequence of this law? Will EV adoption be slowed if many EVs vehicles don't qualify for the tax credit? The reality is that without the EV tax credit, there remains a significant disparity in price between a comparable ICE vehicle and a battery electric vehicle, which financially may force some consumers to have no choice but to acquire an ICE vehicle simply because they can't afford the higher EV price. And these are all legitimate concerns, but in fairness, it is still too early to definitively determine the impact of the new EV tax credit restrictions on end user demand and buying inclinations only time will tell so for instance you know there are ways around this oems whose evs do not qualify for the tax credit there's nothing to preclude them from offering their own fleet incentives to stimulate sales and the irs has issued preliminary guidance on the transition from the old ev tax credit to the new methodology to receive an ev tax credit and according to the irs EV buyers can still qualify for the previous $7,500 tax credit with no restrictions on the vehicle's MSRP, buyer's income, battery content, or origin of final assembly if they have a written binding agreement to purchase a qualified vehicle before August 16th, which is the effective date of the Inflation Reduction Act. And I'm sure once this new law is fully analyzed by the automotive industry, There'll be many more gray areas that come into question. And as they say, the devil's in the details. So with this as my final observation, I'd like to conclude my State of the Fleet Industry presentation for the week of August 22, 2022. And I'd like to thank you for watching.